Lefondre looking to get side of Font. Lefondre away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls preview podcast supported by Phantom Bruker. i got to say, it's a fantastic place to go for a drink. So as there isn't a Reading match this weekend, why don't you get yourself down there? I've also been joined for this preview for the Cambridge United match by Jeetan and Lee of Reading Today. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you for having me back on. That's absolute pleasure. I mean, we lost last night, didn't we? Obviously, against Ipswich um, in the League Cup. We did do a podcast about that called Pay the Penalty when we go into more depth. But what's your kind of mood after that game? It's a weird one because you can't ever be too happy after getting knocked out of a, any any competition, really. Um, but I thought the youngsters did so well. I mean, they acquitted themselves fantastically. They showed a lot of fight, a lot of courage. Um and showed a lot of quality as well. I mean, I think a lot's been made of, of you know, how determined they were. But I think at times we played some really good stuff and um, it was really good to see them, you know, get to penalties. Because I think that against a team like Ipswich, that is in itself an achievement. Um, and yeah, I, I think that as much as it was disappointing to get so close to progressing, um, you know, I think that all the players who played yesterday should kind of hold their heads up high and they can be really proud of the performance they put in. Yeah, I mean, after the match, Ruben Sellers said exactly the same, didn't he? He was very proud of the team. Um, as someone from outside the group, it seems to be that they're creating a unity and a spirit that we haven't seen for a long time. Um, it's not going to be a straightforward path. Uh, we know it could be a hard season for Reading. I'm not expecting us to suddenly romp the league and like, win it in that much. That's not going to be happening. But I do love the fact that players are coming in and be given their chance on ability and performances, not on their name, which I think we've seen for too many years. The reasons for that, we don't want to go into. It's too long-winded. But if we look at it, G, I mean, I, I think there were some obviously standout performances, but I like the fact that when the Kelvin comes on, he scores that goal and he's now looking like a bit of a machine in front of goal, isn't he? He will miss chances, that's inevitable, but the progress between the start of the season and now seems quite large. Mm. I'm not sure if you kind of remember because it feels like a long time ago but that Peterborough game he uh, he missed two really kind of decent chances which he really should have tucked away um, and I think a lot of people were kind of grumbling a little bit about him starting up front um, kind of saying oh here Andy Carroll doesn't really work we've come a long way since then you know Andy Carroll's not in the team Kelvin's on um, is it five goals now you know it's, it's a really impressive start uh, from from Kelvin, I think he's in that period where, you know, he's just not thinking about it. He's kind of operating on instinct. It was a really difficult finish, his goal yesterday. Um, you know, he showed both power, you know, to beat the man and then finesse, which I think is the ultimate combination for any striker. Um, and yeah, he just he's operating on pure instinct at the moment, which is yeah, ultimately the best place you want to be as a striker. You don't want to be bearing down on goal, having a million thoughts in your head. He looks so single-minded when he's kind of one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. Um, and I think it's really good to see that he can score lots of different types of goals. Um, you know, I think, you know, if we look at the the little dink against Millwall, that's a lovely little finish there. Um, but the most important thing is that he's getting into the right positions and he's making an impact. He didn't have a lot of minutes to work with yesterday, but he was able to do it. Yeah, unfortunately, he didn't, didn't get the opportunity to take a penalty. But let's not get too down on that because the other players, these things happen. I'm not going to get too annoyed about it. 
But we're obviously going to be talking about stuff that are happening, coming in and out at so Reading Football Club. It does look like Andy Carroll is going to be on his way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does look increasingly likely that that'll be the case. Um, I think it'll be best for all parties concerned, to be honest. He's not going to get minutes, so for his kind of career, it'll be better for him to find a club where he can he can get regular game time. Um, from Reading's perspective, it's clear that he's not part of Ruben Sellers' plan. He doesn't really fit into the way that Ruben wants to play. Um, and I think it kind of comes back to what you were saying before about the fact that we're not picking players based off of name value. When you look at what Andy Carroll's achieved in his career, you know, I think potentially previous managers might have started him just off of what he's achieved. Um, but yeah, I think that it does look increasingly likely um, with him going, if he were to go, which looks likely, I would, you know, like to see Reading bring someone else in. Without him there, we do look a little bit short up top. I mean, although we've got players who can fill in, ultimately, when you're looking at a really long, hard season, you want to have, you know, established strikers um, who have kind of played in that position for years. So, yeah, I'd like to bring someone else in if that is the case. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, he he talked about two forwards possibly coming in or attacking players. He didn't give any names, obviously. I'm not expecting any. But that would be the ideal scenario. And if you combine that with Sam Smith coming back, it would kind of cover those positions, hopefully. But who knows what happens on transfer it will be deadline day probably when it all goes through now. So that'd be a bit of a, an interesting day for all the other players as well involved, like Tom Holmes. What's going to happen with him? It seems to be very quiet on him. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a really interesting point. I, I doubt we're going to be able to shift all four of the players that have kind of been mentioned. So then what happens after the deadline day kind of passes? How do we reintegrate them back in the, into the team? Because ultimately... You know, they're not going to be sitting in the resis. You know, they're not going to be playing with the 21s. We're going to have to find a way to to use them. Um, and I think there's the style of play side of things. How do we kind of get them up to speed with the way that Ruben wants to play when clearly they don't quite fit in? Um, but then there's also the more um, kind of mental thing of once you know that you've been sidelined and once you know that you've been kind of put on the market, how do you kind of go about resetting? They're all professionals, so I'm sure that they will be able to. Um, but I feel like that might be something that might be in the back of all four of their minds if kind of moves don't finally materialise. Yeah, I I think so, because if you look at players like Guinness Walker and Tom Holmes, they would have probably, if you'd have said to most Reading fans at the start of the season, whether you thought they were going to, should be in the team or not, you'd have all assumed they would have been starting every single game. And they're, they're both quite young players still, so it is a difficult situation for them. Everybody thinks these players get paid a lot of money and they do all this, but it still affects you. It's your mentality and how you deal with that because you're still in that group of players and in the training ground. It's like, how do I come back? Do I prove the manager wrong or do I just don't think, I just don't feel the same and the, the environment doesn't feel the same to me now, but I can't get out. And he's, they'll be stuck there until next January if they mm. don't get a move. I mean, it is a tricky one, but I can kind of see why it's happened. I, I don't know all the details, but it, it is an awkward one for Ruben to deal with yet again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to remember that Tom Holmes is still officially our kind of vice captain, <laughs> which is really weird to think about. But um, yeah, like I said, I, I think ultimately once the season kind of gets going, the transfer window closes, you know, they'll all want to play. So I'm sure they'll do whatever it takes to kind of get back into Ruben Sellers' good books. 
um, and kind of if they have to adjust their style of play, I'm sure they'll they'll try at the at the very least. Um, and yeah, we'll kind of have to see how how that one pans out. Yeah, well, the oldest situation at Reading is Joe Pereira. <laughs> I mean, nothing beats that. I mean, he's been there for about five or six weeks, it feels. He's probably got his own, like, training ground area and everything, but he's not officially a player. It is so odd, that scenario. But who knows? By this time, 24 hours tomorrow, all those players could have gone. I don't think they will have, but it's not impossible. So let's move on to the Cambridge United match. What is your prediction? Obviously, it's quite nice that Harvey Nibs has got his first goal. He'll be going back there. Sam Smith... He might be on the coach, maybe, but he's not going to be playing. What's your kind of prediction for this one? I think it's a tricky one to call because whenever you're talking about an away game for Reading in the league, you know, it's difficult to predict a win given how long it's been since the last one. Um, but in a weird way, I do feel positive and maybe that's just the Reading fan, the hopeful Reading fan inside of me. Um but, you know, I, I think that Cambridge aren't a team that commands a lot of the ball. So the onus will be on us to to kind of set the tone. We do have players in our team who are com very comfortable on the ball. You know, you look at the likes of Charlie Savage, um, Ben Elliott, um, you know, Michael Craig came in and looked really assured as well um, yesterday. So, you know, I do feel like we've got the players to, to dictate the tempo. Another factor is the fact that we are on TV and we don't have the best record on on Sky. Um, but, you know, if you're asking for, for a score, I'm going to go for 1-1. I said 1-1 the last time I was on here. I'm going to sit on the fence again. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to say 1-1. I think that we've got enough there in our team to to at least pick up a point point at their place. But I just have to mention, I think the big question that Ruben will have to answer is what he does with Tyler Binden uh, going into that game. Obviously, if everything that we've heard is true, he will be available for that game. Um, having sat out for his kind of uh, concussion protocol period. Um, you know, he's obviously, I think Ruben's going to kind of have that decision to make between either putting Binden back in um, and kind of reuniting him with, with Abby or sticking with Dean, who I thought was was pretty good um, away at Exeter. You know, he's an experienced head, um, really good in the air. Um, so we'll have to see. But I think that's the big decision that, that Ruben is kind of faced with going into that game. It's nice to have a positive choice, though, isn't it? Mm. It's nice to have the feeling that you're thinking, well, both those players have played pretty well, but I've now got another option. Instead of actually, well, they've all been terrible. <laughs> Which one do I go for? Very yeah, I, mean, I think Binden's been fantastic since he's come in, but he is very young. So I'm going to go for Cambridge United. My prediction will be based on complete and utter hope that at some point I will be able to predict an away win. So I'm not going to miss out on the opportunity to say, 2-1 to Reading. Why not? Oh, Why not? He's going to have to happen at stop at some point. Please, please let it stop. So uh, thanks a lot for listening to this part. We will be now chatting to a Cambridge United fan. Cheers. Welcome back, everybody. We have now switched, of course, onto the second part of the podcast. We are going to have a look at Cambridge United, a team again, we seem seemingly saying this every week now, have, have not played in quite some time. But to give us all the lowdown on Cambridge, we've got Jules from Under the Abbey Stand podcast. Hello, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure, mate. Doing good. Doing good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. Why not? Yeah. Nine points from your first five. It's hard to be anything other than positive. Cannot complain, can you? Cannot complain. <laughs> 
so jules just just looking at cambridge um for a minute and the last kind of five six seasons of of, of cambridge it's been a nice little rise up really you kind of had a spat in or about a it's not a bit more of a spat it's you know a five six seven season period in league two and now almost you know cementing yourself as a as a league one club just gives a bit of a feel for cambridge of the last few years yeah i mean it was nine in the end and it felt like about 90 i think for any cambridge fans you know we hadn't spent since our election into the football league in 1970 it was our first time back in non-league and we'd built up in that time you know, not to go back too far, but we built up a lot of experience in the Football League in that time, spent some a lot of time in the second tier under John Beck with Dion Dublin. Um, you know, we'd had some good and bad spells, but we'd really built ourselves up as a Football League club. And then early, early on in the 2000s, we've, um, we basically went into administration. We were about an hour away from completely ceasing to exist in 2005, saved saved by the bell basically absolute last minute um a combination of fans uh someone on our board working for the government and and having some sort of last minute say um i don't know all the details i was very young at the time uh and then we dropped into non-league and that was when i thought Do you know what maybe here's a club that i can support someone with um <laughs> someone with a history of failure someone that i can really you know pin my colors to the mast to um and that's sort of um, that's that's where we started, you know, trips to Hayes and Yedding and Grays and uh, Lee RMI and Ebbsfleet and these sorts of places. That was uh, a proper that was football really, education. That proper is. football education. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think for people of, of of my vintage who who remember supporting the club in those times when we lost six nil to Histon, who were a village just outside of Cambridge, that was probably the lowest point in the club's history. Uh, you know, League One at the moment is still sort of pinch yourself a little bit. I think there's still that steady progression. You were right in saying since 2000, probably in the last 10 years, uh, we got promoted out of the conference the same year that Luton did, finished second to them. Obviously, they've gone on a very <laughs> a different sort of progression since then to us. Um, good luck to them for it as well. I think they're a, an inspiration almost for a lot of smaller clubs like us that, you know, that that dream is still sort of can still happen. You never know, right? Um but yeah, as has been sort of, I'd like to say that it's been very well managed and very uh, strategically, st it's been very sort of st strategic growth in that time. But I don't think, I think that'll be lying, to be honest. The first year back in League Two after getting promoted, we drew Man United in the Cup, took them to a replay at Old Trafford. Uh, and supposedly that money should have set us up for the next, you know, five years going for that promotion. Uh, and yeah, that money just completely disappeared. So Basically, those years after that, we spent three or four years um, basically battling relegation in League Two, just strings of you know what it sounds like was happening at Reading at various different points, just sort of try and find three points on a Saturday. No one's got a clue about identity. No one's got a clue about the financial infrastructure in this club, where this money's going, who are we reinvesting in, what's our identity, um, how are we going to build as a club? We were sort of sleepwalking and it was if things hadn't changed we would have slept walked back into the conference and I'm sure would have faced a similar path to what you could look at what's happened to York City recently or Yeovil or someone like that. Uh, and it was sort of a stroke of luck that saved it. Uh, our chairman's a man called Paul Barry, who I think every Cambridge United fan holds in the highest esteem. He's a local boy. Uh, he still sits with his mum, who's they've still got season tickets. Uh, and he's the majority owner. And he basically, uh, at that point, was keeping the club alive. And then he decided to, to try and... Um, to basically stop this rot and uh, we brought in a couple of american investors who have a minority ownership now um that's not to say that we splashed the cash in the slightest um what actually happened was 
we sacked Colin Calderwood after two back-to-back 4-0 defeats at home. Um, and a man called Mark Bonner came in as interim interim manager. Mark Bonner is a man who's just behind Paul Barry, is loved by every single Cambridge fan. He's another local boy. He uh, has filled every single position in the club from volunteer as a 16-year-old uh, in our uh, foundation uh, summer schools up to the first team manager. So he spent 10 years in the academy and then he started cutting his teeth as a first team coach. Uh, then he was an interim coach and assistant manager. And now he's, then he got the full-time job. Uh, he's in his mid thirties. He's, he's a football manager coach. You know, he's a Cambridge boy. He's a Cambridge fan. He was a season ticket holder. He stood on the having uh, under Roy, when we uh, watching the Roy McFarlane team, the last time we were in league one. Uh, and he is, he's, you know, he's Cambridge through and through and, Aside from that, he's a brilliant football manager. And there's this story that he put on, like, it was like World Book Day or something. And he, he shared what he'd written at primary school. And it was like Mark, age 10. And it was, my dream is to be the Cambridge United manager. So you sort of every now and again, you realise that there's this genuine fairy tale happening. Um, and aside from everything, uh, he got us promoted at the first time of asking in the lockdown year in League Two when Paul Mullen scored about 50,000 goals for us. You know, a guy, Paul Mullen, who has obviously gone on to. I'm not going to say bigger and better thing. I'm going to say uh, you know, a bit more sort of notoriety, let's Wrexham, say. Wrexham, isn't it now? It's he's at Wrexham, yeah. And he's, yes. you know, he's just released a book and he's Rob Reynolds, Robin Ryan's um, wonder kid. But he really broke through at Cambridge. He'd, he'd not scored more than double figures any season in his career up until arriving at Cambridge and then suddenly, you know, bagged ba- literally every week, basically. Um, alongside Joe Ironside, we had Wes Houlihan in our team as well, who was an absolute magician at that level. Uh, got us promoted to League One with a small budget for League One, uh, for League Two, sorry. And then in League One, it was just about survival when he's kept us there two years. The first year, very comfortably, we finished 14th. Um, we were brilliant that season, knocked Newcastle out of the cup. Um, some amazing days out, beat Pompey away, Ipswich away, Wigan away. We took some really big scalps. And then uh, last season, not so comfortably. We started extremely well last year, about as well as this year. We had nine, I think it was nine from our first five, and then we won the next two. So we, we, were in a, we were in the playoffs start of September. Then we managed to only win three out of the next 27 and uh, ended up staying up on, I think it was on goals scored in the end on the final day. Um, and it was a real survival mission. I mean, it was, it was, we only started playing in April, really. Uh, and if a lot of fans had turned the corner on Bonner and, and you know, no man is bigger than the club. Um, and I think everyone thought that the time was right, that what was more important was for us is to stay in League One for as long as possible and just try and grow slowly um, over the years. But that requires staying in League One. You look at the state of League Two now, you do not want to be down there. I'm telling you now, like there's too much money there. There's, there's probably more money than there is a League One in a sort of strange way. If you compare the size of the clubs to the, to the money available. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Stayed up, the board stuck by Bonner. We stayed up final day, gave a speech on the pitch at the end. Everyone apologised to him and uh, <laughs> and we sort of start afresh this season. Um, so yeah, that's the story of the past few years, really. Well, start afresh this season, you kind of have, because like you said, um, so far, played five, won three, lost two, nine points, sitting in ninth place. A pretty good start to the season, really, all things considered. Um, I guess, you know, you've tightened up defensively because obviously last last season, leaking obviously a lot of goals last season. I think it was 68, yeah. I think you conceded last year. I'd rather not know the actual number, but yeah, well, something like yeah. that. 
we, we, we can share your pain on that one, honestly, of recent seasons. <laughs> um, yeah, though, I think that was a season we conceded 87 or so. It was oh, oh, dreadful. Yeah, going. Um, but it, like, what, what, what's happened so far? Kind of, I guess, it, I, it's hard to put your finger on it, I guess, five games in because there's a mm. lot of, I guess, things that can happen in just five, five games. But certainly with the defence, what's kind of happened on, on, on that front compared to like last year? It's probably not as simple as this, but to be honest, um, I'd say there's, there's there's two factors that that are the easiest things to point to. Obviously, you've got no idea what goes on behind closed doors, but at least from a fan fan's perspective, uh, in January uh, we were obviously sleepwalking into relegation. January last year, so uh, the club put a fair amount of money in. I think they really dug dug quite deep, as deep as we can, which is for us still, you know, we're still talking bottom four, bottom six budgets. But they definitely increased the budget that they plan to spend in January, and they brought in Ryan Bennett. Um, who's got loads of Premier League experience, Michael Morrison, who your your fans know plenty about, uh, and a lad called Conor McGrandles on loan from Charlton, who, I mean, we're speaking on the 30th of August, and he has been put up for loan again by Charlton, and Cambridge fans are desperate to re-sign him on loan, so we'll see what happens there. But what those things did is um, we basically upgraded our centre-halves massively, um, we had a lad called Lloyd Jones who now has now gone to Charlton, who was our player of the season, who was brilliant. But apart from that, we're looking at two really young players in Ocadena and Zeno Rossi, Ibsen Rossi, sorry, uh, and a club legend called Greg Taylor. Who, if I say, if I tell you that since re- being released this summer, he's gone to sign for Woking, you can sort of know. You can gives you an indication of the sort of level that he's probably realistically playing at. Um, and we had a load of injury problems and we were basically playing Ocadina and Taylor as our centre-halves and it was just, it was calamitous. So what bringing those centre-halves in did was bring the experience that we really, really needed. And um, and what McGrandles did was allow Paul Digby, who's our sort of number four, uh, plays every week, workhorse defensive midfielder, to play the game that he was supposed to play, which is cutting passing lines, playing in front of the back four, not the sort of rangy box-to-box midfielder that he had the onus to have to play because there was no one next to him that could do that, which is what McGrandles ended up doing. So sort of a mixture of allowing a balance of uh, our centre midfield to protect the back four and bringing in, to be honest, two um, pretty elite centre-halves for this level. Granted, they have their deficiencies. Neither of them are particularly young. Neither of them are particularly fast. But you know what it's like with the players like that. I'm going to trot out a cliche, the first yards in their head, right? And you can really see that with Ryan Bennett. He, We play a really, really low block. Um, God, that's a proper cliche now. We're getting into proper football terms. We'll do, we'll do XG in a minute. Um, but we do play very, very deep. Uh, and we, we don't like strikers in behind us because we, we don't really have the pace at the back. Um, yeah. But yeah, to sort of answer your question, it was um, really Ryan Bennett has been, the, has been the, the crucial signing. We re-signed him in the summer. Uh, and he's what's really helped shore up that back line. He's just an air of authority that we ne- didn't have before. Yeah. Well, I guess one one extra player, potentially, um, I guess you could maybe look at goalkeeper Jack Stevens coming from those who shan't be named, yellow bellies. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not, we're not going to mention them. But again, started quite well for, for you. Three clean sheets so far. And um, I guess part of, I guess, that just reformed unit for you at the back. He started very, very well. Yeah, I think um, everyone's pretty pleased with that one. We... He came in to replace a man called Dimitar Mitov, who uh, alongside Nibs, Smith, Ironside, Mullin had sort of been there. Well, less Mullin, sorry, but Ironside and a few others had been there for um, sort of throughout that journey, the promotion and then the first two seasons in League One. And he'd made some he'd, bit of a fan favourite. He's like a really expressive goalkeeper. Like, do you know what I mean? Really sort of G's the fans up. Everyone loves him. He's... Um, 
he's he's definitely a legend of the club, but I think he had his deficiencies. And I think when he left, a lot of sort of commentators from from outside of the club thought that that would be a big miss for us. And I think we all thought, um, I think we were all convinced that Stevens would always be quite an apt replacement, to be honest. And if anything, to me, he's a bit of an upgrade. I think his kicking's a bit better. Like you say, he's kept three clean sheets. I think the back four in front of him's also had a, um, a lot to do with that. Uh, and I think we've got a real system and identity now, which is something that you could even argue under Bonner. We've we, we're, we've maybe struggled to develop. I think we've always been fairly reactive in games, especially in League One. You're never going to be able to dictate games that are, you know, club like us uh, or the majority of games at least. But I think this year we've managed to sort of imprint our style on games a bit more, which has um, has been a big part in keeping those clean sheets. But yeah, Jack Stevens came highly recommended from from Oxford fans. As um, apologies for saying their name. Funnily enough, you know, like we us and Oxford couldn't give a single we don't care about each other like at all. But obviously anyone who knows nothing about lower league football will go, oh, Cambridge Oxford, it's got to be a big game, hasn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, like, we, we don't pay any attention to each other. Well, Sam, Sam Smith had a bit of history with Oxford, I seem to remember, from a few yeah, years back. It was a, it was a weird incident because I remember watching it. It was like just, oh, it was it was a nothing. that He just celebrated a goal, maybe a bit overzealously. Yeah, yeah. He did the same but... thing when we played them uh, um at their place just yes. after um I've completely forgotten his name their legend club legend uh, really sadly took his own life uh Joey Bouchamp mm. uh and there was a minute silence for the game it's not obviously the situation's not hilarious but when you know Sam Smith as a as a player your fans I mean you already know him but you're really he's really developed this um well, he's a shit house. I'm sorry I was going to say, say he's got he's a knack for being a bit of a wanker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is the ultimate. Uh, and but he scored within three minutes, and he just shushed the home fans. Yeah. <laughs> like I think they took it as you know much more of a of a of a disrespectful thing than I think he meant it. It's just how he how he energizes himself, how he motivates himself, and he does it. He'd do it to any fan base, no matter who they were, and he didn't mean it in the way that I think they took it. But anyway, yeah, he does have some some history there. I um, so hope he's back for the Oxford game for us against him. Yeah. That'd be just yeah. beautiful if he scores. He will definitely oh, shush God. us as well. It's a shame he's not there on Monday because <laughs> I think that would be enough motivation. Well, just quickly touching on them quickly as well, because Cambridge were obviously widely tipped by pundits for, for kind of relegation this year. Um, yeah, kind of because one. losing Smith, Nibs, you know, your top scorer, third scorer from last year, top two assisters from last year as well with Nibs and, and Smith. Um, for a team that only scored, I think it was 41 last year. Mm-hmm. How have you gone about kind of replacing those two? Because it's a big hole to kind of fill with. Yeah, with yeah. Those two, obviously. Well, look, the first thing I'll say on all of this, and this is something that, that all of us maintain, is um, I absolutely don't blame anyone for finish for predicting us to finish in the bottom four or even the bottom two it's a completely it would be mental if you looked at this division and didn't have us in that bottom four from the outside looking in i completely get it and you know we're only to, we're only predicting us to finish maybe a place or two outside but that's obviously a little bit of pre-season optimism um sort of creeping in there um for what it's worth, I do think we'll stay up. And I think the reasons are, the the reasons a lot of people are giving, I think are actually the wrong ones why why we might struggle. Um, the reason everyone says is, yeah, we've lost Smith, Nibs, Mitov, Ironside and Lloyd-Jones. Um, and if you looked at our team last year, they were, well, from the outside looking in, they're probably five of our most important players. Mitov, as I've already mentioned, I think we've very easily replaced him. I think there was, he was a fan favourite. He was a big name, big personality. He's gone to St. Johnston in the Scottish Prem. I don't think he had many offers much higher than us in League One. 
Uh, I think he has a, a lot of flaws to his game. He's quite young. Um, I think he's still developing as a footballer. That to me is actually the least of my worries as a as a replacement. I think Stevens is absolutely, if not, I mean, last year we had our subkeeper is called Mannion, and there was plenty of discussion of whether Mannion was better than Mitov. So even if we hadn't have signed a replacement, I'd have been pretty happy with Mannion, as I'm sure most youth fans would be. Lloyd Jones, yeah, big miss. Gone to Charlton, brilliant player. Um, big miss. Uh, we've got a young lad coming through called Ibsen Rossi. We play four at the back now and Bennett and Morrison start for us. So I'm not even sure who Jones would have started ahead of out of those two. So I think we've developed, changed our system. We played five at the back a lot of the time last year with a, a third centre-half who was very rangy, someone who'd like to pick the ball up and run and that's what Jones was. Uh, so we've changed our system to accommodate for that. Joe Ironside, second half of last season, never got in the team, wasn't good enough. League two player, absolutely not a miss at all. Harvey Nibs is probably the one that I think everyone is going to miss the most. You, you'll have seen enough of him already. B- brilliant effort off the ball. He was such a Mark Bonner player. Um, his his uh, his enthusiasm, his motivation, every single game, the yards he'd put in on and off the ball. Maybe technique-wise, he's still got a little bit of, of learning to do, but that's fine. I think he had enough of it to get of his game to to make up for that. Sam Smith, yeah, look, a brilliant goal scorer. He was our top goal scorer last season. He, he, I think he scored one goal if, uh, uh, outside of August and April. I think he only scored one goal. So my argument there is like the guy didn't show up for 30 games. That's why we were in the position we were in. He was the guy we were relying on for goals and he went through a, a, a barren patch of like, I think I've exaggerated there. I think he did score a couple, but he definitely didn't show up. He was a big part of the reason why we were in the that 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 where we were in the first place. So to me, the players we've that, that have gone, I think we're all in different ways replaceable. And I think what we've done is we've really, we've changed our tactic in the transfer market massively. So we've stopped going for young up and coming players that we need to, to bed into our team. And we've really, really gone for experience. I think we've signed over 300 championship appearances combined. Um, George Thomas, a lad we had originally from January, got injured finished the season very well he's dropped into play as a number eight alongside Paul Digby as I mentioned earlier he is a phenomenal footballer if he stays fit at this level and he's been he's played every minute I think so far um he is phenomenal absolutely way way above this level like without a slight little injury asterisk over his over his name he's top end league one bottom end championship uh Jordan Cousins again a lot of injury issues he's only spent one season in league one in that season he got he won the league with Wigan he's got 200 odd appearances with Stoke uh Elias Kachunga someone with Premier League experience from a few years ago someone he'll probably come up against in the championship I think from memory Huddersfield yeah we signed him from Bolton Bolton fans loved him he's the Nibs replacement he's similar very hard working off the ball not quite as tall or physical um, up top, we signed Gassan Ahadmi to replace Joe Ironside. Ahadmi maybe blows a bit hot and cold, but he's very physical, very tall. He can give defenders the absolute run around on his day. He's a massive upgrade on Joe Ironside. And at the back, I've already covered it. And, and like, I think what we've done is we've basically... I think the, the actual worry and the reason you should predict us to finish 23rd or in the bottom four is if the wrong players get injured, our depth does not exist. It didn't last year. It doesn't this year. I think we've replaced the players man for man. I think we've improved on them actually. But if George Thomas gets injured, we are we will sink like a stone. We don't have a, any sort of backup and we don't have the wage bill to to be able to to buy the backup. So we, we've sort of put our eggs in one basket in a sense and just hope that we get some injury luck. But I think if they stay fit, we're, we're in a really decent shape. No, absolutely. I think obviously what you, you, you touched on 
uh, touched on him already at the back. Uh, Michael Morrison, he was a fan. It was, it's weird to say he was a fan favourite. It was only here for obviously two, three seasons, but ended up being captain, captain of Cambridge now. Actually got the nickname Moradonna. Mor- at times. Oh, really? I, I like that. He did, yeah, because yeah. he went and scored some absolute worldies. If um, if there's any um, Cambridge fans listening to it, they watch his goal against Bristol City back in 2021, I think it was. Literally run, runs almost half the pitch and um, slices Brilliant. it into the top corner, but it was completely intentional. Brilliant goal. Um, but yeah, you know, captain at the back now for Cambridge, I think, you know, it's a big, big kind of boost for you guys. Obviously come through the academy at Cambridge, yeah. so a bit of a hometown it's- hero. And it's, you know, I've already mentioned a few of the crucial people involved in the club and obviously, you know, without going too deep into it, but there's, um, I think every major position at the football club now is um, is housed by someone who uh, is a Cambridge fan uh, since they were a kid. Michael Morrison, the captain, Mark Bonner, the manager, Paul Barry, the chairman, our, our entire board of directors. Um, that I think they really, that you know, I talked earlier about identity and developing that sort of, um, that culture around a, a team. And that's the thing that, really 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 uh encourages me about the way we're set up at the moment even if we were to go down we wouldn't sink like a stone we might take a few years to come back up but they're building infrastructure around the club in such a smart way with people who have the club i'm sorry to come on a reading podcast and talk about this because i know this is like probably the stuff of your dreams in a way (laughs) you trade i suppose you sort of trade like having a really, really rich owner with the potential of what that can do to you. It's to be careful what you wish for territory. Everyone was thing, like that it? it, it, it yeah. It's like, you look, we're never going to, we're never going to be able to bankroll our way to the top end of league one. It's going to take years if we ever get to that level of slow investment, finding those mm. youth products locally. It's going to take so long. So it's like that sort of, um, that dream, I talked about Luton earlier, who I'm not, I'm not saying that that's what they've done, but th- that, that dream is, is a long way off for us with our system at the moment. But what's never going to happen is we're never, we're never going to be in, um, there's too many people who care about the club too deeply to put us in any sort of serious trouble yeah. and a relegation wouldn't stop that. Mark Bonner mm-hmm. leaving wouldn't stop that. I think they've got contingency plans well in place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so Michael Morrison being a big part of that as well as someone who not only is brilliant on the pitch but really cares is something that obviously as fans, you know, you love to see on the pitch. You love seeing it, something you can get behind, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. I have to say, this has been a bumper preview so far. So thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. There's only a few more topics to cover um, and then we will shut up for good, I promise. Um, I've loved this. hope everyone else has loved it. Um Setup for Cambridge, normally a standard 4-2-3-1, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you touched on it already, low block for Cambridge. Yeah, we we hate playing teams who give us the ball. Uh, we are very well suited to... Uh, Born digest, maybe, then. We, absolutely. <laughs> Look at our games this year. The three teams we've beat 2-0 were, play, were teams that dominated possession. Oxford, Fleetwood and Bristol Rovers. Uh, and we just sit really deep. And we've got that trio of Bennett, Morrison and Digby just in front of them. They're big, tall, really, really, really smart defensively on the whole. Uh, and they're very happy to have the ball in front of them. Um, what we don't want is we're quite bad at breaking teams down. We like to do that, nab the ball, play on the break. If you want to watch us at our best, I'd recommend watching the Fleetwood highlights from second game of the season, 1-2-0 up there. That's the epitome of how Mark Bonham will set this team up. Um, and that's the sort of challenge, you know, if you look at the Stevenage game when they, they came to our place, we played really well that night, actually. But 
Stevenage were happy for us to have the ball and we didn't really know what to do with it half the time. So we kept it quite well, but we didn't create enough chances. And Stevenage sort of did to us what we do to most teams. So, And they'll do that to plenty of other teams, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you look at Orient at the weekend. Um, it's the first time we've come a little bit unstuck. We, we, st- we stunk the place out on Saturday. We were absolutely terrible. But it's going to happen because if you allow other teams to have the ball, every now and again, they are just going to figure you out and they will just yeah. have a player or two that can do that. So I th- suppose it's going to be, on Monday, the challenge is going to be, what players have you got that can, um, that can unlock that? Because we'll be happy for you to have the ball and then we'll just try and play very quickly on the break. For Cambridge, then, if you've got to pick out kind of one player that's key to Cambridge or kind of to look out for for Reading to mark out the game, who are you probably picking? I mean, George Thomas, I've already gone on about. I could speak about him for a long time. He is uh, absolutely crucial to everything that we do in the middle of the park. He dictates everything. He's a brilliant little footballer. He'd be, I think he's our best player. I actually think the player to watch out for for you guys is um, Gassana Hadmi up top. He's a he's a real focal point up top. He's a tall lad. Um, if you've got, I, I gather you've got a fairly inexperienced side, and that's the sort of team that he loves to play against because he is brilliant at bullying people out of games, given half a chance. So I think if you keep him quiet and um, manage to to sort of mark him out of the game, which the Orient centre halves managed to do pretty easily actually on Saturday, he had a bit of an off day. Um, then you'll you'll have a brilliant chance um, because without him we struggle to get our wingers into the game. Um, Brophy and Kai Kai either side, they've um, they've both got um, they, they've both got you know, serious pace. But Hadmi is really the crucial element to to getting everyone involved. So I think Hadmi is actually the one to watch out for. I think if you're for Reading fans, but Thomas is. If we win, Thomas will will be the man of the match. Put it that way. Oh, um, I'd. Adami. No, I've said that wrong. Um, number 22, striker, I think. I had 23. Yeah, number 23 for yeah. Cambridge. Keep an eye out for him. Um, we got to the point predictions. Um, we did predictions on your show. Obviously, anyone listening wants to hear a Reading preview, go over and obviously listen to that. Um, I predicted a well, well, I'd be happy with a one-one draw because frankly, we've not won away from home since um, you know, November 12th. It's uh, it's a very long time coming. So, Jules, does that give you hope for a Cambridge win, or does that? Uh, to be honest, no. Because <laughs> you saying that you haven't won away from home in fourteen games says to me that you are absolutely guaranteed three points next week. Um, so, to be honest, that's actually like really rattled my confidence. But uh, look, I think I think we're targeting points at home this year. I think we're really trying to make it a fortress. We haven't conceded. a I know what we're talking about. Yeah, of course we have. No, we've lost at home, in fact. But that's against Stevenage. Uh, I think um, I think we're really targeting points at home. I think we're going to make it a really difficult place to come and play out. It's a really small pitch. It's really narrow. You'll notice anyone coming down. Um, it must be one of the smallest pitches in the league. Um, we hate playing on big pitches. Um, but we, we really like to sort of make it really compact at home. So I I'm pretty confident that we won't lose it. Um, I th- I, look, I'm I'm going to be confident, but to be honest, I would take one all as well. But I, I I will say that I think just because I think we're going to see us lose quite a lot of ways, and I think he'll really Bonner will really put the pressure on on us to to pick up points at home. I'll say that we'll win one uh, nil, but um, but I don't think there'll be a lot in it at all. And I would take a point probably if you gave it to me now. Um, 
and yeah continue your miserable streak but to be honest you know like look I've, like I say I've done this long enough to know that you'll come and turn us over 3-0 and it'll look like you've won every away game in the last like three months or something um, well that's 11 losses in the last 12 I'm trying to put all the stats out there to make the the jinx gods look down favorably on us um yeah I think if we could get a draw like I said I'd be happy it'd be the first draw for both Cambridge and Reading this season but um but but yeah I just can't get that 11 losses in 12 out of my head one point in uh in 12 away games that we've got but um but yeah it's not not pretty or happy viewing but anyway we will of course be back um it'll probably be tuesday i've got, got to remember it's a monday night game to yeah. review the game against cambridge hopefully we'll be reviewing three points and breaking this long running curse um i'm not holding my hopes up yet but we live in optimism question, um, question for you, Matt. what's your what's your tv record like if you know it off the top of your head uh, everyone says it's bad, but kind of everyone says it's bad. Yeah, Every I think ours is bad as well. On Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's been a while since I think we played on Sky. To be honest, I can't actually. Uh... No, I can't even remember the last time we played. Well, I know sorry, we didn't have a few last season. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, but it, I think last season we we're okay. But yeah, I, 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 Sky TV is a myth anyway, um, and yeah. record on that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it will of course be on Sky Sky Sports on Monday night, um, and we'll be back obviously to review it on the Tuesday. Um, Jules, thank you so much, obviously, for coming on and previewing Cambridge. You've been brilliant. Um, it's been fantastic getting the insight on Cambridge, and um, thank you everyone for listening to this quite bumper um, preview podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. If you have enjoyed it, five star rating helps us out on the podcast um, charts and everything. Keep an eye on our socials, um, and we will of course catch you um, next week after the Cambridge game. So thank you very much for listening, everyone.